and welcome to the Disrupting PFAS podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hale. For this season of the podcast, I have curated four episodes focusing on the detection, destruction, and sequestration of PFAS using novel materials or processes. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Suzanne Witt of Fraunhofer USA about electrochemical oxidation of PFAS using boron-doped diamond electrodes. I chose this technology for the episode because it aims to destroy PFAS using both a novel material, boron-doped diamond, and an oxidation process that differs from chemical oxidants. So let's learn more about the technology from one of its innovators. Welcome to the podcast, Suzanne. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having me. So we've had an opportunity to work together, um, and I've really been impressed with your intellectual curiosity and your technical background. Could you take us on your journey from being an undergraduate at Ohio Northern University to now working for Fraunhofer USA? Yeah, sure. So um, I, as you said, I started as an undergraduate at Ohio Northern. My um, BS is in biochemistry, actually, um, but I also got minors in applied math and physics. So I, I did a lot of stuff, tried a lot of different things. Um, and from undergrad, um, eventually decided to do my PhD and chose chemistry for that um, at Ohio State. Um, and in um, at Ohio State, I was in an inorganic photochemistry group, but I actually ended up doing quite a bit of electrochemistry. Um, and that was really my first exposure to um, electrochemistry and electrochemical techniques. So at Ohio State, um, my PhD research was on um, electrocatalysts for water splitting and CO2 reduction. Um, and from there, I went and did a couple of different postdocs. So first at the University of Missouri, and then I was a National Research Council um, postdoctoral associate at um, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST. And so at both of those postdocs, I used my um, electrochemistry knowledge for a couple of different applications. So at um, University of Missouri, I was working on nuclear batteries. And at NIST, I was working on um, solid oxide fuel cell materials. Um, so really, I've, I've worked in a wide range of applications. And so that made Fraunhofer a um, really good fit for me because Fraunhofer also works in a wide range of applications. So when coming to Fraunhofer, um, again, I was tasked with using my electrochemistry knowledge for um, different sorts of applications based on the materials that we um, fabricate at our center. Well, I always say it takes a full toolbox to tackle PFAS, and it sounds like uh, you've definitely got that diverse technical background that we need uh, to be tackling PFAS. So let's talk about Fraunhofer for a second. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting organization. Can you tell us more about Fraunhofer? Fraunhofer USA is a nonprofit research organization incorporated in the U.S. Our focus is really on applied research and what we call bridging the innovation gap. And so what we mean by that is we like to take fundamental research that's typically done in like an academic setting and bring it to the next phase of developing a prototype or some sort of pilot system that an industrial partner can pick up and bring into the market. Um, so that's really the core mission of Fraunhofer and what we're all about. Well, that's very cool. And uh, one of the reasons I definitely wanted to speak to you today. Um, could you tell us a little more about how Fraunhofer is organized? 
So we, we are um, associated with the parent company in Germany, um, but we are our own entity, um, our own U.S. entity. Um, but in the U.S., we have three individual centers that are organized um, based on geographical area, and these have um, expertise in several different areas. My specific center is Center Midwest, and we're located in Michigan, and this encompasses our laser applications division and also our coatings and diamond technologies division. And so that's sort of separated into the coatings group and the diamond technologies group, and diamond technologies is where I, I fall into. And you're actually on the campus of Michigan State University, right? Right. And so um, for the most part, all of the different Fraunhofer centers in the U.S. are associated with some um, uh, university. And so you've talked a little bit about it already, but could you tell us more about your role and maybe some of the things you're working on? So I'm a, my title is staff scientist, and what I'm focused on is electrochemical applications of the materials that we work with in-house. So boron dope diamond is a big one, and that's the one that we're going to be talking about today. But there's other um, carbon-based materials that we work with that I have some projects with as well. Um, but BDD is the main focus for me right now. That's one reason why I wanted to have you on today, because I just think it's a fascinating material. It can be used for so many different things, and I think that's a good segue into my next question. We'll get into the, your specific technology and your, your recent publication, but um, maybe just talk about how you and or Fraunhofer got into uh, the PFAS game. So it, it all starts with the material for us. So we have boron dope diamond and other carbon-based materials that we fabricate at our center. Our goal is really to find the best home for these materials. So whatever that application might be, these are the things that we try. And with BDD, the PFAS was sort of a natural fit. Um, so that's really where that comes in is we had this expertise in boron dope diamond. Um, we can grow boron dope diamond. And then, you know, this PFAS problem came about. And um, it turns out that BDD is a very, um, a very good material for this electrochemical oxidation process. And so, um, you know, we were very happy to find a new application for the material that we work with. You touched on something that maybe we'd talk a little more about. I mean, Fraunhofer really has some expertise in boron dope diamond. I mean, you don't order this stuff from Amazon, right? Can you tell us a little more about, you know, Fraunhofer's BDD capabilities? I'm not really on the material development side of things, um, but we do have diamond reactors in-house. And so this is um, the, the boron dope diamond and diamond in general can be grown through chemical vapor deposition. Um, so we have reactors that um, are able to, to grow BDD through that process. Okay, great. So before we get into the details of the technology you've been working on, I want to ask you more of a philosophical question. Uh, so PFAS are regarded as one of the more challenging environmental contaminants that we deal with today. Um, you know, it's a human-made uh, suite of compounds that was developed through technology. What is your outlook as a technologist for our ability to tackle PFAS as an environmental problem uh, using technology? Yeah, so um, it can be a bit overwhelming, for sure. Um, and, you know, I, I try to stay positive about it because it seems, you know, there's a new news story every day um, and that the outlook is looking more and more grim. Um, however, I'm encouraged by the fact that there are so many people tackling this from all different directions. So, you know, we're going to be talking about destruction today, and that's what we do. Um, but 
you know, there's all, all this other great research going on with removal technologies, um, detection. Um, I've heard a little bit about recycling PFAS compounds even. So I think all of these things are going to have to work together in order to really solve a problem of this magnitude um, and that it's going to take contributions from everybody. Well, you actually touched on one of my follow-up questions about uh, whether we're going to have one world-beating uh, PFAS technology that solves a problem or if it's going to be you know, a suite of technologies working together. And I'm of the same mindset that it's going to be a suite of technologies working together and um, appreciate your optimism. And you know, that's one thing we hope to highlight here in the Disrupting PFAS podcast is you know, all the different technologies that are you know, in the works, uh, whether it's destruction detection or removal or as you said even recycling of PFAS um, yeah. I, you know I think we're already seeing you know positive developments but I think it you know it could be a long horizon as well okay so let's get into the technology itself that you've been working on uh, first of all congratulations to you and your colleagues for your recent publication in the Journal of Water Process Engineering um, so the title of that paper is a flow-through cell for the electrochemical oxidation of perfluoroalkyl substances and landfill leachates. So I'd like to unpack that title to understand the various elements of the technology. So first off, it uses boron dope diamond, um, which you've already talked about. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about uh, the unique properties of boron dope diamond and how it's fashioned into electrodes, please. So, um... Boron up diamond um, is a really good material for this electrochemical oxidation process, um, mainly because it's so durable. Um, so with electrochemical oxidation, and I can go into more detail of the, you know, the mechanisms involved with this later, but what you're doing is you're applying a high current density through a solution. So PFAS compounds are very, um, they have very strong carbon fluorine bonds. And so it's really difficult, energetically difficult to oxidize those bonds. And so um, a lot of times the current density that you need to apply needs to be quite high in order to achieve that um, CF bond dissociation. So um, BDD is really good material for this purpose because it can sustain those high current densities for long periods of time. It's also very low fouling. So that's one thing that we saw with the leachates, for example, where these, these solutions, you know, they're kind of nasty and they have pretty high organic backgrounds, um, which are um, uh, could lead to fouling of a lot of different materials. But with the BDD, we hadn't noticed that issue. Um, so that's a really um, positive property. Um, also, there are weak absorber of hydroxyl radicals. So during the EO process, you're also getting some water splitting that can lead to the formation of hydroxyl radicals, other radical species as well, depending on what's in your solution. And um, boron dope diamond is a weak absorber of those. And why that's important is because um, those hydroxyl radicals can oxidize PFAS as well in the solution. So if you have a material that's absorbing those, then they're not going to be available for those um, oxidation pathways. So we talked about the, the boron dope diamond and that unique material. It's kind of the foundation of the technology that's used for the electrochemical oxidation. But um, if you could go back and just tell us uh, basically what is electrochemical oxidation? How does it work uh, in the destruction of contaminants? 
Yeah, so um, electrochemical oxidation or uh, EO, we might abbreviate it as that, um, works by applying a current through a solution that is, um, a, so the, the, you're applying a sufficient amount of electrical energy in order to oxidize a species and solution that you're interested in. So in our case, it's PFAS. Um, so you're applying this um, current through the solution and there are two main mechanisms that are happening. So one is something called direct, direct oxidation. And what that is, is when a PFAS molecule um, diffuses to the electrode surface and loses an electron. So it's, it's directly interacting with the electrode surface and being oxidized. Um, indirect oxidation is another process that is going on, likely at the same time, where um, in addition to the PFAS oxidation, you're also getting water oxidation and oxidation of other species that might be present, um, which leads to the, the formation of these radical species, species, including hydroxyl radicals. So those hydroxyl radicals can also um, oxidize PFAS, and we call that indirect oxidation um, because it's happening away from the electrode surface. So both of these things are going on at the same time um, and are both are important for um, overall PFAS oxidation. And ideally what this would result in is the constituent parts of PFAS, which are fluoride anions and um, carbon dioxide. Okay, very cool. So you mentioned current density a few times. Could you explain what current density is for the audience? Yeah, sure. Um, so current density is simply current divided by electrode area. So it's it's uh, the units are some um, amps. We usually use units of milliamps per centimeter squared for that. Okay, and is that something you adjust or tweak through your experimental process? Yeah, so we, we look at different current densities because one thing that we're interested in is optimizing the energy consumption. So if you are applying a higher current, you're going to be consuming more energy, um, and you may need to do that in order to effectively oxidize PFAS, but that's um, one parameter that we're interested in minimizing if we can. Um, so we do do experiments at different current densities for that purpose. Yeah, I think that's interesting. You know, you know, a lot of the work being done, uh, the desire is for it to be low temperature or low energy, and the fact that you could almost, you know, dial or adjust that in because it's, you know, electrical, uh, so you have enough, the amount of energy you need, but maybe no more. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, so, Suzanne, you've described uh, the boron dope diamond, how that's fashioned into electrodes, and how those electrodes uh, work as far as electrochemical oxidation of PFAS. So if you could tell us more about the apparatus itself, you know, how are the electrodes actually configured? What do they look like? How does the flow through cell work? Can you take us through that, please? Yeah, sure. So we have a couple of different electrode cell types that we work with. One is a parallel plate cell. Um, so that is a series of BDD parallel plate electrodes. Um, that are uh, joined together a number of anodes and cathodes in a cell stack. Um, and so what happens with this cell is the solution is going to flow um, parallel to the direction of the electrodes. Um, so as it flows in between the electrodes and pass, um, you are going to oxidize um, PFAS um, over a period of time. So that's that one. Um, the other type of cell that we have is called a flow through cell. So those electrodes look a little bit different. So what they are, are these circular BDD electrodes with holes in them. 
And so what happens here is that the solution is actually going to flow perpendicular to the face of this electrode. And so um, it, it's the same deal where we have a stack of these things all together. And so the, the solution is going to flow perpendicular to that electrode face um, through the holes, and that creates a lot of turbulence in the cell. You've got a few different varieties there. Is one better than the other? Um, or do different configurations or varieties of electrodes um, work in better in different circumstances? Yeah, so um, better in different circumstances for sure. So what we're finding, we think, is that um, which electrode configuration you use depends on the PFAS concentration. Um, so the, the, between the two that I showed, there's um, very different surface areas. Um, so for the parallel plate stack, um, the one that I, I, I just showed here and, and what we used for some of these smaller scale experiments that, um, that we've been talking about, um, that one has a surface area, an anode surface area of about 213 centimeters squared, whereas the flow through cell is more like 34 centimeters squared. So the surface areas are quite different. Um, so with the, the parallel plate stack, we think that that one, what well, that one is, is seeming to be better in higher PFAS concentrations just because you have um, much higher surface area to work with. And so for the, the flow through cell, um, since the surface area is, is lower, those high PFAS concentrations, it just takes quite a bit longer with that flow through cell. Um, however, the flow through cell might be better once you get to lower PFAS concentrations. So, um, for, for example, in our paper on the leachates, we were finding that that one actually was quite effective for the, the, the concentrations for leachates, um, which is, you know, tens of ppb. Um, and the reason for that being that turbulence that I talked about. So as the, the solution is flowing through, as it's going through those holes, it creates a lot of turbulence. And then when you have lower PFAS concentrations, that helps deliver it to the electrode surface. So that's kind of what we're seeing in, in our current hypothesis for which cell you should use in, in different situations. Um, and, and with that, we're also looking at combinations of cells. So maybe in certain um, solutions, you wanna run uh, the solution through a parallel plate cell first and then switch to a flow through, um, you know, something along those lines. Okay, well, that's a great explanation. Um, really appreciate that. It helps us really understand the apparatus uh, more in depth. So again, we've talked about the core material, the boron dope diamond, and the process of electrochemical oxidation and the apparatus in which that all occurs. One thing I'm curious about is, is it scalable? Um, or is that something you're working on? Yeah, that, that is an active area of research for us and something that we're trying to really nail down over the next two to three years um, is the scalability. Um, the short answer is yes. It's, it's definitely scalable, but how do you do that in a cost-effective way is the harder question. Um, so that's what we're trying to work out right now is how can you scale this process where you're not breaking the bank in terms of the energy consumption and also the amount of material, right? So diamond is expensive, as you might you know, guess. Um, so that's what we're working on right now. And our, our experiments, typically we have... Um, uh, home-built reactor systems that can handle between uh, about two and 14 or 15 liters. So we've been, you know, working with these smaller scales to try and figure out, you know, what are the best um, parameters to use in order to scale up something like this.
Okay, and I imagine um, at Fraunhofer, with your diamond expertise and the equipment and resources you have to, you know, manufacture the material and customize it, you're probably pretty well suited to, um, you know, configure, customize, or scale up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And understand that's something you're still working on. Um, okay, great. So uh, recapping once again, we talked about the material, the boron-doped diamond, the electrochemical oxidation process, how that all fits together in the apparatus. Um, let's talk about the, the matrix itself, what you've been working on treating. Uh, you mentioned it uh, previously in this conversation, uh, like you're looking at landfill leachate. You know, tell us a little more about that matrix, um, its complexity, what's in it, PFAS concentrations, et cetera. Yeah, so landfill leachate, um, that's a project that we've been working on with the city of Grand Rapids water resource recovery facility. And leachate is very tricky. So um, for a, a few different reasons, but the PFAS concentrations are in the PPB range typically is what we've seen. So about tens of PPB in total PFAS. Um, and it's also can, it can be high in, um, uh, background organics, um, which you can kind of measure with chemical oxygen demand. So COD, um, is another parameter that we look at. Um, so there's, there's PFAS, there's COD salts. So there's different kinds of salts in there, um, which uh, that's kind of good for us actually, because um, with the electrochemical oxidation, you need some conductivity in the solution in order for it to, to actually go, right? So um, it, it's difficult to pass current through solutions that are low in conductivity, um, but the leachates are plenty salty. So, um, so that's kind of an advantage in that respect. Um, but since they have all this other background stuff, um, it can slow down the process. So one sort of limitation of EO is that it's not selective. So since PFAS is so difficult to oxidize, um, anything else that's present in the solution that has an oxidation potential equivalent or less than that of PFAS is also going to be oxidized. So what that means is that some of these background organic species, all of these things are also um, being oxidized at the same time as PFAS. And that just takes away some of your energy that you're putting into the system. Um, so they're tricky in that regard. Um, also, what we're finding with the leachates, and, and hopefully over the next year, we have another paper out on this. Um, uh, we're, we're working on this right now, writing this information up. But there are these precursor compounds that are present in landfill leachates. And that makes things really um, interesting, I'll say, <laughs> um, because these PFAS precursors can be oxidized into some of the chains that you're trying to detect. Um, so there's uh, precursors uh, to PFBA, for example. So you'll see a period of time where there's precursor oxidation before you actually achieve um, PFAS degradation. Um, so there's there's lots of things about the the leachates that that make them tricky, but not impossible. <laughs> well, yeah. kudos to you and the team for taking on such a challenging matrix, and it's another good segue. Um, please tell us about the results. What are you seeing? They are mixed, and and so another issue with leachates is is that they vary quite a bit. So in that paper, we looked at different landfills. Um, and, and so notice that the, the total PFAS concentration varies quite a bit between landfill to landfill. 
um, also within the same landfill over different months. So if you have, you know, more rainfall in one month, that can change your concentration quite a bit. Um, so all that leads to kind of a mixed bag in terms of how successful the treatment is. And um, so for certain landfills, we saw very quick, efficient degradation. Um, for others, not so much. So it's kind but of, you're, kind seeing, of yeah. you're seeing some significant percent reductions, though, in some of the longer chain PFAS, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the longer chain PFAS, those degrade quite readily. Um, and with, with PFAS oxidation, you, you have what's called um, an unzipping mechanism. So what that means is that you're shortening the PFAS chain one carbon length at a time. So actually your, um, your eight carbon chains, those degrade you know, first, um, but you'll start to see your seven carbon chains creep up at, at the early stages, and then those will degrade, and then the sixes come up, and then those degrade. So um, what happens is the, the longer chains go away quite readily, but you might see um, the, uh, the shorter chains come in, and those are um, a little bit more difficult to degrade. And really all it comes down to is time. So the longer you go, eventually you will degrade the shorter chains. It just might take some time. So I would imagine, though, in a you know a recirculation type setup, it's you could keep it recirculating until you got the the degradation you needed, even at the the shorter chain PFAS. Right. Hypothetically. Right. Yep. Okay, but maybe that becomes a volume limited thing then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what about PFOS versus PFOA? Um, PFOS can be a tough customer when it comes to oxidation. Have you been able to oxidize it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't. Um, yeah. We haven't really had issues with uh, PFOS. Um, and in fact, PFOS and PFOA have very similar degradation behaviors. Um, so those, both of those, can be degraded within the first two hours, is what we typically see. Very interesting. Okay. So another thing that I'm aware of is the potential for the production of byproducts, uh, perchlorate in particular. Have you seen that? And what's going on there? Yeah, we definitely see perchlorate. Yeah. So, so again, this this process isn't selective. So anything that's in there that can be oxidized is going to be oxidized. So, with perchlorate, this comes from chloride oxidation, and um, that you know, anytime you have chloride salts present in your solution, which you certainly do for the leachates, um, you're going to see the formation of perchlorate. There are a number of strategies to mitigate that that we're, we're looking at currently. So number one, you could think about doing some sort of pretreatment to remove chloride ions um, okay. before going into an electrochemical oxidation process. Um, you could look at a post-treatment of the perchlorate. So there's some, um, there's biological uh, treatments that can um, degrade perchlorate. And so that's, that's another avenue that we're exploring. And then the third one is adding something to the solution that quenches the reaction of chloride transformation to perchlorate. So there's different ways to go about this. And we're kind of looking at all of these right now and evaluating which one's going to be the best. Sounds like there's a, a lot of options for dealing with that. Um, so I think that's a great description of the technology you're working on and how it works and the materials and the matrix. Um, 
let's think more in terms of the commercial application of it, um, the practical application of it. What is your outlook for the applicability of this technology in the apparatus? Where do you see it being used? When do you see it being implemented? So two, two main thoughts. Um, uh, definitely a treatment train. So that's that's kind of um, what we keep coming back to is that we we don't think this is going to be a standalone technology. We think this is going to be part of some PFAS treatment train. Um, and we're looking at a lot of different options for that and working with um, people with expertise in some of these other um, treatment technologies to help us with that. The other other sort of route to commercialization. So we're we're looking at a couple of different things. Uh, we have an idea of this being some sort of mobile treatment unit, so something that you could put on a trailer and take it to these impacted sites um, and treat the PFAS that's present there. Um, we're also exploring the possibility of having this be some sort of treatment unit that exists at like a wastewater treatment plant, for example. Um, and especially at the Grand Rapids Water Resource Recovery Facility, that's something that they're very interested in. Okay, so um, you know we're not talking about something that's going to be under someone's kitchen sink that's going to be delivering them clean drinking water, but we're something that can really significantly knock down the concentration of you know a waste type material potentially with high concentrations of PFAS. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the concentrations is a good point. Um, we think that where you're going to get the most bang for your buck is where you're looking at some sort of highly concentrated solution. Because at, at a certain point, we you know, we talked about different co-contaminants that might be present and that could take away some of your energy consumption by oxidizing those. Um, so what we, we think the best um, uh, application of this is something that's that's really concentrated in PFAS so that you are the majority of your energy that you're putting in is going towards PFAS oxidation. Um, for something like drinking water, there's there's a couple of issues there. Number one, the PFAS is going to be more diffuse. So you'll have uh, you know a greater proportion of water oxidation going on and that that takes away some of the energy that you're um, putting into the system. Also the conductivity issue. So with um, drinking water, you're going to have lower conductivities than some of these wastewaters um, that already, you know, they have lots of salts and things in there, um, don't need any sort of uh, additive to them in order to get to the current densities that we need. Um, so the, drink, the drinking water would require something like that, some, some kind of salt addition. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that goes back to, you know, what you said before, and I concurred with is, you know, we're looking at as, you know, a suite of PFAS technologies, you know, each with their own place, you know, to kind of collectively tackle the issue of PFAS. I guess, you know, from my experience and perspective, you know, one thing we're running into is just, you know, waste management for PFAS is becoming, you know, a more significant issue, um, you know, almost a bottleneck in the ability to address, you know, PFAS. So, you know, I think technologies that are destructive technology that focuses on, uh, you know, complex matrices or high concentrations, you know, this would be a good fit for that, you know, even if it's relatively low volume, you know, the types of material you might generate at an impacted site just through the investigation process. Um, you know, that could, that can be difficult to get rid of, um, but, you know, but it might be, you know, perfect for something like electrochemical oxidation with boron dope diamond electrodes. So that's a great explanation of kind of where this technology fits in. 
Um, I think maybe we've touched on it a bit. Well, you've been doing some really exciting work and seeing some cool results, but some mixed results, as you said. But you know, where does, uh, how would you describe the technology readiness level? Yep. So we're still um, working with small scales. Um, so we have these home built reactor systems that can handle between about two and 14 or 15 liters. So that's what we've been doing. And really with the um, idea of eventually scaling this up in mind. So we're trying to get all these parameters right at these smaller scales to see what is going to be needed in order to ultimately scale this up. Um, we've also looked at a number of different solutions. So we've talked about leachates quite a bit because um, we have that new paper out. Um, we've also looked at ion exchange regenerate solutions, um, which we recently submitted a paper on. So stay tuned for that one um, uh, whenever that one gets accepted. Um, but we've looked at those solutions as well. And this kind of goes back to the idea of using a treatment train where you have um, a pre-concentration step like ion exchange to uh, remove PFAS and concentrate it from something else. Um, and then we destroy it. So our initial data with those solutions is looking very positive. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at, where we're, we're looking at different solutions on a small scale um, with the idea to eventually schedule, uh, scale us up. Okay, Suzanne, so that's been a great explanation and discussion of the PFAS destruction technology you're working on. So we've been talking about using a novel material, boron-doped diamond, for the electrochemical oxidation of PFAS. You know, so a few things we've learned with Suzanne today, uh, you know, this is, is a promising technology uh, to significantly knock down the concentrations of complex matrices, waste material, materials that may have high PFAS concentrations. Um, so it looks like there's definitely a role uh, for this technology and Fraunhofer continues to develop it. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for additional papers coming out of Fraunhofer. So that wraps up this episode of the Disrupting PFAS podcast. Thank you to Dr. Suzanne Witt of Fraunhofer USA for joining us today. I'm your host, Jeff Hale, reminding you to never say forever. Thank you.